So I was on a Zoom call um, with a number of other men. Dr. MacArthur was on the Zoom call also talking. He, he seems to be gaining strength, which is an encouragement uh, to me personally because we need his voice. Um, and also we have the great exodus coming next March, the beacon exodus where all the men here are going to go down to Shepherd's Conference. So I'm wondering if John is promoted what we're going to do (laughs) if we sign up for it. So anyhow, um, one of the things that he said that he's doing, which is very strange for Dr. MacArthur, is the fact that he is actually uh, teaching topically. (laughs) And he said there's been over 2,000 people that have come to Grace Community Church since COVID days, and they've come from such a mishmash of faith communities, if you will, that he feels compelled to address certain important issues to get everybody on the same page so they at least understand what um, the Bible says about these topics. That's kind of where I'm at with foundations. Um, I, I feel compelled to establish the fact of our humanity according to the Bible because it's under attack. I mean, just this week, you probably all got the same emails. Um, there's uh, an AI Bible that's in the works <laughs> for all religions. It, it will be a corrected one, so don't worry about it. It'll be a corrected one. And um, my wife lovingly referred to it as man-breathed. It's a man-breathed book. And then we've got a synthetic embryo um, that has, it's a, it's a big breakthrough, and um, we now have pregnant men, of course, and justice for all, and on and on and on. We are under a frontal assault, folks, with reality. And it's imperative that we really, really need to understand what the Word of God says concerning our humanity. The fact that we grapple with the issues that I just mentioned, the fact that they either alarm us or excite us or whatever, the fact that we're talking about those kind of things is a mark that we're human. Okay? My poodles don't sit and discuss this on the lawn when they're out there, you know, sitting in the grass. And I'm sure if you have birds or cats, they're not doing that. It's us, humans, that struggle with these things. And so, who am I? Human identity. I'm starting a series here, and we're going to go on from here to talk about more things that have to do with human identity. So in the series on foundations, I, I'd be shortchanging you if I didn't address the whole idea of identity. Okay? It's important. Today, people are really struggling with their personal identities. Um, this, of course, goes into the whole area of gender matters and what we hear everywhere today as people are self-identifying. I remember in 1984, 1984, not the book, actual life. I was preaching at Grace Community, or excuse me, Grace Church Roseville. I remember this distinctly because um, it was on the day that the World Series was playing, and they slotted me for the evening service, which was right when the World Series was playing. So that never left my mind. But I remember standing up and saying to a handful of people, <laughs> I don't even know if the pastor was there actually, but. I said, you know, 
it's amazing coming back from the mission field and looking at America uh, through different eyes after being gone for a while because I don't know any place else in the world where you can be just about anything you want to be. If you want to be a cowboy, all you got to do is go get some cowboy boots, cowboy hat, and a pearl button shirt, and a big old buckle, and voila, you're a cowboy. If you want to be a biker, all you got to do is buy a Harley, get the, the nice leather chaps, and, you know, get the uniform and everything, and you're an accountant all week long, but on the weekends, man, you are a biker. And, of course, you have your biker mama riding in back. That was 1984. I didn't realize I was a prophet. It's, it's kind of like whatever you decide to be, you can be because you're self-identifying as such. Well, I want to tell you that's totally contrary to Scripture. And I'm nothing against cowboys or even bikers. It's just we don't self-identify. We have been identified as something already. What's understood with people self-identifying is that they're intent on identifying with what they understand to be their authentic selves, the person they truly feel that they are in the most essential part of their being. Um, If any of you know folks struggling with identity and gender confusion, you know that they're grappling with the fact of who am I? I feel this way but I'm not that way physically. And they grapple with this stuff. One writer, Carl Truman, has called it expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. I like just saying rebellion against God because that's clearer, and that's exactly what it is, rebellion against God. Answers to these questions are addressed clearly in the Bible. They really are. And... We first must clarify who we are as human beings. Before we get into the individual elements of things, we need to understand who we have been created as human beings to be. But be forewarned, because there are a lot of people who think the very existence of a universal or pan-cultural human nature is in question. Um, I've talked to you about postmodernism, where there is no absolute truth. Um, It's on a gradient. It's on a continuum. And your truth may not be my truth, and his truth may not be her truth, etc., etc. And everybody has the right to have their own truth. Again, that is just patently ridiculous. There is right, there is wrong. There is black, there is white. You cannot change those things just because you feel like you should. There's no narrative, they say, that carries truth throughout all humanity. Yet every major problem of our modern society turns on the question of man's ideal nature. Why do we think justice? Where do we get that concept from, if not the scriptures? What is right? What is wrong? Where do we get those concepts from? Now, they're all skewed and and wrong, but uh, the answer affects every aspect of anthropology, the study of man. How we answer that question, where these things come from, and what is man's natural, natural, and and ideal nature is imperative that we understand. We have to be able to answer these questions. So, scientism invites us to examine man as a mechanism. 
okay? Because scientism does not accept God, does not accept the written word, the revealed will of God. And so they just look at the material elements of things and they see man as a mechanism. The Genesis account focus, focuses rather on the God-man relationship. It's totally different. We do believe in a God. We do believe that people have souls. And it warns that to sacrifice the theological aspects of man or the spiritual aspects of man leads inevitably to a profound misunderstanding of man's nature. Which we see. It's exactly what we see spread out before us every day as people struggle with their identity and purpose as human beings. So, believe it or not, there are a number of explanations for humanity floating around out there. And the Bible's explanation is not the most prominent, nor definitely not the most promoted view. And many take it to be just one more myth among many. But I believe the best way to go is to start by answering the question, who am I? Really, who am I? And by turning to the Bible to find out what God says we are as human beings. First and then, after we discuss that whole element, Lord willing, we'll get done today, we'll deal with the individual identity matters later because that is also very, very important. So let's just open in a word of prayer and ask God's blessing on our time together today. Father, as we come before you with these critical questions and most clear answers from your word, we pray, God, that we would not come off as harsh and denigrating toward other human beings and even other ideas, but, Father, that we would just identify clearly the difference and the basis and the sources of where these contrary ideas to your word come from. And Father, it'll all filter right down to the corruption of sin and the effect that sin has had on our rationality, Lord. So Father, we pray that you'd open the word to us today, help us to understand these things, and help us to gain a sense of stability and confidence in who we are as the waves just crash against us every day, Lord, especially our young people, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what is it that makes us distinctly human? Our identity as humans feature the image of God. I'd have to say that that really separates us out as being different and unique. Genesis 1, 26 through 27, I've exposited that passage. I've talked to you about that passage. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the image of God, simply put, This means humanity was created to reflect God, to reflect God. It does not refer necessarily to the physical aspect of humanity, for God is spirit, but rather the inner unseen characteristics of being human in such a way as reflects God. How can our inner person reflect God? 
How can those faculties that are immaterial within man reflect God? That's what we're talking about. But we can't completely segregate the inner from the external physical aspect that God created humans with a body. We can't deny we have a physical body. That would be ridiculous. After all, Jesus Christ, the ultimate and only God-man, is both God and man, including his physical being, which is glorified right now and in heaven. I really like to just sit and think, I'm honest with you, I really like to just sit and think about Jesus Christ in his glorified body in heaven at the right hand of the Father right now. And the promise that he will return just as he left because he's coming back, and I believe it's really soon, and he'll be in that very body, the one that he hung around with the disciples with after his resurrection, his glorified body. So our physical body takes on immense value when we consider that, okay? Not the one that we're in right now. Jesus shucked that off and was glorified, and we must put off mortality and put on immortality in order to go to heaven. That's where you are changed in the twinkling of an eye if we're raptured, right? So, it's very interesting. Human beings are living, personal, self-conscious, and we act with individual personality. I love uh, my grandchildren. And I love them because each one of them is so different. So completely different. And, you know... Individual personality is a gift from God. And sometimes we try to squelch that by demanding that everybody act the same, everybody think the same, everybody talk the same. I'm for diversity, friends, because I believe God is for diversity. Just read Rome, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There, there is unity, but it's in diversity, and I think diversity is a beautiful distinction of our humanity. You see... We possess both a physical body and an inner soul or spirit, and both unify into one person. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, whether you're a dichotomous or a trichotomous, big words, whether you believe in, you know, that there's two elements to the human being or three. We'll get to that in a bit. Humans are created with a unique ability, absent in all other creatures of the earth, and that is the fact that we are able to mirror the divine nature of God created in his image. This is nothing to just shuck off. This is very important. Now, I want to talk about at least three key elements that separate human beings from other creatures on earth. Okay? God created all, but humans were the final act of his creative work. That says something. After he created man, he rested on the seventh day. And only humans are said to be created in the image of God. Nothing else of his creation is said to be created in his image. And another defining mark of humanity is only humans are said to be created male and female. Of course, the other animals are male and female. But he didn't specify that he specifically created them male and female. With humans, he did. He created them male and female. And to humans alone... Did God give dominion over all the earth to nobody else? Dominion over all the earth. But he endowed humans with at least three faculties that make us distinct from the rest of God's creation, intellect. Now, I mentioned already my poodles. They're really smart dogs. Really smart dogs. 
but they do not have the intellect that we as human beings possess. Sorry, puppies. Intellect reflects the creativity of God, cognitive thinking. It comes from the person of God. We are thinking creatures. Proverbs 16 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. But the problem is, post-fall, after sin, we have a noetic effect on our, our capability to be rational. Sin has affected the way that we think. And with sin comes self-deception, so that we can actually deceive ourselves into thinking something totally contrary to what is in reality true. This happens in the areas of uh, eating disorders. A very thin girl will feel that she's very, very fat and will stop eating. And there's the opposite eating disorder as well. But we have disorders all over the place now, don't we? I mean, things that are just patently not in line with what our eyes can actually see and biology and physicality actually tell us, we're being told, no, that's not right. I'm this. It's like, no, you're not. No matter how many operations you get, no matter how many things you cut off or add, no matter how many drugs you ingest, you will remain who you were created to be. I read a very, very moving um, chapter in a book I'm reading by Carl Truman. And it talked about the real struggle that the LGBTQ plus community is facing today, especially the L and the G, okay? Because the T came in and messed everything up. Okay, used to be being a homosexual, gay, or a lesbian, you had, you had presence. You had an identity, okay? Not anymore with transgenderism, that's erased. And it's passe now. Gender is fluid, can be whatever. And then I, this is what was moving to me in that chapter that I read. It talked about no matter what a man does to himself, he will never menstruate. He will never have that experience. Okay? And I'm saying that as that's part of a woman's makeup, nor will he ever have a pregnancy. Okay? That's part of a woman's identity, nor will he ever have to contemplate abortion as an option. And with gender being fluid the way it is nowadays, that's completely taken away. And so is that person that's pretending to be a woman actually a woman? The answer is categorically no. No. And women, you need to stand up and say, you are not us. You are not us. You do not enter in to womanhood and all that it contains. And I just talked about physicality things, biology. Brothers and sisters, we have entered into an area that we've never been in before as a world. Even prior to the rise of religion, okay, there was animism and paganism. But even that 
those people were beholden to forces outside of themselves. And then religion came in, and everything we learned about religion and right and wrong, and whether it was the Catholic Church or Protestantism or whatever, there is a God that we're beholden to outside of ourselves. Today, uh-uh, all bets are off. We are our own God. We are self-actualized. Only we can say what is right, what is wrong, what is male, what is female, what, whatever. And this has never been in the world before. There's always been an outside entity that man was submitted to. Okay? Not anymore. Now it's all us. Ever since the fall of man, sin has marred the intellect. So humanity is characterized differently from Adam and Eve in their original righteousness. Original righteousness was just taken away. Sin brings with itself deception. Genesis 6.5 says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That was right before he released the flood. Even with sin, human beings are rational creatures. It is true. We possess self-awareness and other awareness. We know that there are others. And we're capable of critical thinking and logic. We have memory, imagination, language skills with which we have the ability to understand others because they talk to us in propositional statements which we can understand. And they talk, and we talk back to them. And God communicates with us and we communicate with God through prayer, through language. No animals have that. We can create which reflects the creativity of our creator God. Even though post-fall people do not give God glory for that capacity. It's really hard, isn't it, for us to really appreciate an artist and their art when they really, 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 really go against God and become very vocal about their hatred of God and wanting to put off all of his restraints. And yet their art is phenomenally wonderful creativity, whether it be dance or whether it be in song or whether it be in poetry, writing. The arts are wonderful, but they don't give glory to God for that. And that's where it comes from. So intellect is one marker that marks us as human beings. Secondly, we're moral creatures reflecting the holiness of God. Created innocent in original righteousness, Adam and Eve possessed a conscience of what was right and wrong. But who trained that conscience? God. God said, there's two trees here. And I'm going to tell you what one does and what the other does. Don't eat from this one. They got their cue from their creator who communicated with them in words that they could understand. But they chose wrong. That also is a mark of humanity, is the ability to choose things. Romans 2.15 says, By these things they show the work of the law written in their hearts, and their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. This is so incredible. Romans 1.32 says, And although they know the ordinance of God, they know what God expects of them that those who practice such things are worthy of death, but they not only 
do those things, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Hearty approval, just translate that, celebrate. Celebrate what we are being demanded to do, or we will suffer the consequences. We must celebrate, okay? Not just tolerate, celebrate the sin all around us. And that is a mark of the effects of sin on humanity. The fact that we have a conscience is witness to a vestige of our original righteousness. It goes all the way back to the garden, okay? But get this, the conscience is a faculty that can be heightened or hardened. It can be educated. Or I don't know what the opposite is. De-educated? Uneducated? I don't know. Made dumb? (laughs) Okay, through either the process of education and raising that conscience level, which we do every time we read the Word of God. That's why the Word of God and just reading it is so important. Okay, Or by deeds, by doing specific things. So through process of education or practice, we affect our conscience. And a conscience can be heightened and educated to be in closer proximity to God's will. Or it can devolve and become seared to where it's given over fully to sin. So you've got intellect, and you've got moral, the moral aspect of man. And and the third element is affections. Affections. These reflect the love of God. Human beings are worshiping creatures. We are worshiping creatures. Worship is the act of placing worth in someone other than ourselves. That's to worship something. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Deuteronomy 10.12 says, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But the fear of the Lord your God to walk in all his ways and love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, back again to my poodles. They love me. When I come home, man, it's like heaven just happened for them all over again. Every time I go out, I come home, it's heaven. Heaven. They love it, okay? They don't think about God. They do not worship God. God has never entered their minds because they're creatures. They do not have a soul like a man has a soul that has the capacity to love, to obey God. They just don't have that. We do, and that marks us as different. Matthew 23, 37 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You see, there's rationality, morality, and affection. Affections toward God. And that marks us distinctly as human, those three elements. We're going to talk about three other things that are very interesting that God is at work doing in our lives now as regenerate people. Because it kind of fits with that. So the next point is, what day is Imago Day? What day is Imago Day? Sometimes preachers use terms that people do not understand or they've never heard of before. And I remember one example of a person who had just started coming to a Bible preaching church. They may or may not have been saved. 
But they came up to the pastor afterwards and they said, you know, you're talking about the Bible. I get when you're talking about the Bible because I got one, you gave me one. I got it. But then you also referred to the scriptures. The scriptures say, the scriptures say, and I'm looking around to see if there's something that I'm missing. And then you, you also said at least four or five times, you must do what the word tells you to do. The word. I'm, I'm, can you explain to me where I can get my hands on those things. We assume people know way more than they know. The Word is the Bible. The Scriptures is the Bible. And that person, a neophyte, right? An uninitiated person coming out of the world, not having any kind of religious background, was completely in the dark. Um, I think that happens more often than we'd like to admit. It may be not with the word in scriptures, but it may be with other things. The longer we're believers, the more we become familiar with and begin to adopt a specialized language. It's a language filled with terms, and the uninitiated don't have a clue what those terms mean. And who is going to ask questions and seem dumb? Okay, because we're adults. We don't ask questions about things we don't understand, because that makes us dumb. Well, the term imago Dei, may be one of those terms that people hear, but one that they've never heard defined. So imago is Latin word for image. Imago, image. Okay. When I was in parochial school, Catholic school, we studied the roots of all the words that we use. And imago sounds like image. So that's where we get image from. And dei is derived from deus, which means God. So real simple, image God image of God, okay? That's all imago Dei means. But what is the content therein? That's where we really get hung up. Now, the Hebrew words used in Genesis 126, image and likeness, are both terms that mean something similar but not identical to that which it represents, okay? So we are not little gods, as Benny Hinn would say, walking around. But we are made in the image of God. So we are similar to, but representative of. We are not the same as. An image, boy, that little sentence had three prep, uh, prepositions in them that are so important. Words are really important, folks. And we need to be diligent to understand what things mean. An image means something that represents something else, like a statue or a replica. The likeness means more like similarity and carries with it the idea of representation also. So God created Adam and Eve to be like God and also represent God. Now in Genesis 5.3, we read that Adam's son Seth was, quote, in his own likeness and according to his image. Well, the original readers would have understood that to mean that Seth was like Adam. Not he was Adam, he was like Adam. And of course, the original readers would read the verse in Genesis that man is like God and represents God. In the New Testament, we read that Jesus Christ is the radiance of his glory, the Father's glory, and the exact representation of him. Now when God created man, it was the crown of his creation, the final act of his creation, the pinnacle, the crown of his creation. 
What followed was the seventh day. There is more space given to description of the creation of man than to any other creative act of God in the creation account. And it's only the creation of man where God entered into consultation with the Trinity. He held an exclusive counsel, making the creation of man more dignified than his other acts of creation. Why would we want to strip that away from ourselves? Accountability, that's why. Accountability. Because if God is God and we're his creatures, we're accountable to him. And nobody wants to be accountable to nobody. Okay? We want to be our own moral agents. There's distinct personal flavor to God's creation of human beings. A compound name, Yahweh, Elohim, is used when describing God forming the man from the dust of the ground. It cries personal touch, deep intimacy with personal involvement in the creation of man. No other created thing experienced that. Nothing in the account of creation has that kind of intimacy involved in it. Also, it is only man that was created singularly. Okay? All the other creatures were said to be created in groups, swarms, if you will. But God describes in detail how he first created the man, and then again, he describes in detail how he created the woman from the man. Why, if we're not something unique and special? We are unique and special. We are human beings created in the image of God. Now, New Testament references to man in the image of God, we know from Genesis 3, if we compare with Romans 5, that sin entered the world through one man, Adam. And the corruption of sin passed on through parents to children from generation to generation. But in the exultant wisdom of God and his eternal plan, He sent his son to be the satisfaction for the penalty of sin for anyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. That's called regeneration. We are made new. We are born again. Hackneyed terms that that have lost their meaning. But think of this. God is recreating fallen human beings into new people. We become a new creature. I tell you the truth, I don't believe I really lived until I was 19 years old and I became saved. I really don't. That time before that time, to me, was just wasted time. Hardly left the wake behind myself then. Just spinning my wheels, trying to think of new ways to sin. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. And the old things are passed away. Behold, new things have now come. Adam and Eve lived in original righteousness, which they forfeited when they sinned. Paul tells us that God, in his regeneration of forgiven sinners, is restoring them to righteousness, holiness, and true knowledge. There's the the next three. Next triplet here. Okay, this is so cool. (laughs) Ephesians 4.24 speaks of the new self this regenerate person that you become when you ask Jesus to forgive your sins, and he does. And it says this, quote, And you have put on the new self, new self, mark that, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Righteousness and holiness. And then in Colossians 3.10, he describes the new self, 
again by saying this, and you have put on the new self who is being renewed. Interesting, that is an ongoing process. It's not all at once. That's called sanctification. Who is being renewed in the process of being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Isn't that cool? Righteousness, holiness, knowledge. These three elements reflect back to Adam's original righteousness, which was lost through Adam's sin, but is now regained in Christ. Regained in Christ. This is the moral image of God, or the image of God in a more restricted sense of the word, that each one of us who have been regenerate, who have become born again, who have become new creatures in Christ, share with one another. No wonder we have koinonia. No wonder we can relate to one another. We're on the process. And brothers and sisters, it's a battle. It's a battle. Because that renewing process that's taking place is going against everything around us, the world, the devil, and our own flesh, the sin that still remains within our our mortal bodies. That's why we've got to be transformed into a glorified body to go to heaven because there's sin somehow in this mortal body. I don't know how to explain that. I mean, someday we'll talk about it, but, but it's there, right? Because you're not only tempted from outside, you're not only tempted by the devil, you're also tempted by your own inner thoughts. And you've got to put those down and mortify them. You've got to put those to death. Day in and day out, day in and day out. The good thing and the good news is is that it becomes less frequent the longer you're involved in the sanctification process. You will never reach perfection this side of heaven, but you will sin less. And I know if you've been a Christian for any length of time that there are certain areas that you've gotten victory over in your life and in other areas that you're battling like you're an unbeliever. (laughs) And some... It gets so hard, the battle becomes so intense that you actually question, am I a believer? I just can't get victory over this. Well, if you've trusted Christ, you are a believer. Keep fighting and get a brother to come alongside you or a sister. So this is the moral image of God, this in Christness that we share as regenerate people. James refers to the image of God in man when he warns us against cursing other human beings who have been made in the likeness of God. And never forget capital punishment for murder as uh, discussed in Genesis. It says um, that any man that slays another man or murders another man should by man be put to death. Why? Because he has been created in the image of God. <laughs> wow. We are unique. This is our human distinctiveness that's trying to be erased right now, to be honest with you. Wayne Grudem summarized man in the image of God like this, quote, The fact that man is in the image of God means that man is like God in the following ways. Intellectual ability, moral purity, spiritual nature, dominion over the earth, creativity, and ability to make ethical choices and immortality. Okay, back to the poodles. Now, I love them, and I know my wife thinks that they're all going to be in heaven. I can't find that in the scripture. Sorry, Mary, and sorry, poodles. 
I, I don't know what heaven is going to be like, but I don't expect to see all those pets that I've loved throughout my life in heaven there to greet me. Okay? They're not human beings. They do not have souls. They're not immortal like we are as human beings. Now, the unbelieving men of science will tell us we are a way for the universe to know itself. Oh, this sounds so heavy, doesn't it? I love this. Some part of our being knows this is where we came from. We long to return, and, and we can because the cosmos is also within us. We're made of star stuff. Okay, Carl Sagan, right? Just deceived millions of people. This may seem to make much of us, but all the while denigrates humanity by lowering us to the stuff of matter alone. One man explained Carl Sagan's quote like this, quote, his statement sums up the fact that the carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen atoms in our bodies, as well as atoms of all other heavy elements, were created in previous generations of stars over 4.5 billion years ago. That's supposed to be an explanation of his statement. It just restates it. It doesn't explain anything. You can say anything. The thing is, is what's your standard of truth to weigh it against? And today, when you throw this away, you have no standard of truth. No standard of reality. Reminds me of that Kansas song. I'm aging myself here, but in the 70s, Dust in the Wind. All we are is dust in the wind. Dust in the wind. Everything is dust in the wind. Such pessimism. But you know, that was one of my favorite songs back in the 70s. Why? Because I was dust in the wind. I wasn't a human being. I, I wasn't representing who I truly was in the image of God. Thinking like that leads to deep sense of purpose, uh, purposelessness and depression. Yet people in rebellion to God live without God and without hope in the world all around us. Dust in the wind. Everything's just dust in the wind. If we're just dust in the wind, or if we're just star stuff, okay, what difference does it make if I commit adultery? What difference does it make if I'm just doing whatever I want to do because it pleases me. Because that's what it's all about. I've got to get all the gusto I can because I'm just star stuff and I'm going to go back into the earth and become more star stuff as I rot. So what difference does it make? And people live like that. But they also live with the consequences because they have been created in the image of God. And they do have a conscience which condemns them. And they live in desperation and many commit suicide or many self-medicate to the point where they're oblivious, right? Why? They can't live with themselves. They can't live with that dichotomy that they are special, they are human beings, but they're living like they're just an animal. Man, how much better the Bible's claim that we've all been created in the image of God, a personal God, a God who has created us with purpose and a plan a plan that's eternal and one filled with hope and eternal joy. So what makes a human a human, right? Francis Schaeffer, which I would highly suggest if you can get anything that he's written, just read it. All of it, all of it, you'll be blessed. He explains things like this. Who am I? In his own naturalistic theories, with the uniformity of cause and effect in a closed system, with an evolution. Uh, evolutionary concept of a mechanical 
chance parade, I love his words, chance parade from the Adam to the man, man has lost his unique identity. And that's exactly why people are scratching around trying to figure out who they are. Because they've rebelled against God, so now they're left in a vacuum. They have no place to turn but inward to themselves. He spoke to a lost generation of the hope of the gospel, and he addressed the problem facing culture. Nihilism of thinking of humanity as merely mechanical or biologically as merely a machine, a biological one, but mechanical and not personal. He was big on personhood, what I'm calling humanity. There can be no personality in mechanical machines. None. Humans have a body. It is true. The physical body takes on deep significance with the incarnation or enfleshment of Jesus Christ. So these bodies are important. Take care of them. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, 24 says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that, those who are Christ that is coming. Do you see why believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is important? If you struggle with that, you have no hope for your own resurrection. It's important. Nowhere in the Bible are any other God's creatures seen to experience resurrection. When Jesus healed people and when he resurrected people from the dead, which he did, he didn't resurrect any animals, only people. Human beings have a soul, not only a body, and the soul is also said to be our being. Here it refers to the entire person in Genesis 35:18, when Rachel was dying in childbirth, we read, "It came about as her nephesh, her soul was departing, for she died, just to help us understand what's happening there with the soul. For she died that she named her son Benoni, son of my sorrow, but her husband, the father, called him Benjamin, son of my right hand." New Testament, the Greek word is uh, suhe, suhe, and um, it's spelt P-S-Y-C-H-E, like psych. There were added about 3,000 suhe, souls, on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 souls. But it's also used to identify the inner and immaterial faculty, such as in Luke 146, where Mary magnifies the Lord, saying, my suhe exalts the Lord. It was from her innermost being that Mary lifted and exalted God. And the verse that we're all familiar with from Mark 8, 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his suhe, right, his soul? Humans have a spirit as well. The spirit can refer to the power that brings life into the body, ruach in Hebrew in Genesis 2, 7. He breathed life into that thing that he created, man. Pharaoh's spirit was troubled because his dreams, so he sent for all the magicians to interpret them. They couldn't come up with any interpretation. Then he sent for Joseph, right? But it says his spirit was troubled. So we have a soul. We have a spirit. Now, believers, understand this. We also have a heart. These are all faculties of the human, we are so complex. 
Why do you think it's so difficult, the things that we experience in life? Because we are complex people. And God's made us that way. But all the answers that we need are here. That's why biblical counseling is so important. Psychology comes from a source where people did not even believe men had souls. Freud, those men did not believe in the Bible, did not believe that men were created in the image of God. So they come up with all their ideas of how to deal with men's problems And they might be able to identify some of the problems and and where they came from and so forth, but their solutions are completely bankrupt because they're devoid of God. But we do have a spirit. We have a heart as well. Jesus said, for out of the cardia, that's the Greek word for heart, come evil thoughts and murders and adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. All people are born with a dark and evil heart that is deceitful and desperately sick. Jeremiah 17.9. All of us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The little baby is not innocent, not born in, in original righteousness. As that baby continues to grow, I, I heard the best illustration ever. Have you ever seen a baby cry for the baby next to it because that baby next to it was hungry? It's all me. Me, me, me. First words the kid learns is mine and no. Right? Who teaches that? But believers, okay? Now, get this. This is that part of that new creation. This is the dichotomy that we face. Believers receive new hearts. Ezekiel 32, or 36, 26. And they are by grace pure, Matthew 5, 8. And they're good, Luke 8.15, and sincere, Hebrews 10.22. The Christian experiences a new heart that loves God, desires to obey him, is purified, and produces good fruit. That is the regeneration that takes place. That is the new creature that you have become. You have new affections that have been born within you that look to God to meet those and satisfy those new affections that you have. And that's why you're so devastated when you sin. When, <laughs> when you're not a believer, you only get devastated by your sin if there's consequences to it, like you get busted or caught, right? Otherwise, you just pursue it relentlessly. So we need to consider the faculties that make a human human. We, we said a person has a body, a soul, a spirit, a heart. And some struggle with whether a person is made up of only two parts, the material and the immaterial, they're called dichotomous, okay? Others say, ah, Scripture talks about a spirit. So it's body, soul, and spirit. So they're trichotomous, three parts. <sighs> this is that rational part of the human being that gets us in trouble sometimes, right? They understand the soul to consist of the psychological part of man. I don't even know where that comes from, psychological I think the thinking part of man. And the spirit, which is usually identified as the religious element, okay, and responds to the spiritual matters and to God. And so there's three parts. Is there three? Is there two? What do you think? Trichotomism and dichotomism both agree that man is more than a material being. I'll give it that, okay? We're more than just bodies, physical and the fact terms, uh, the fact that both terms 
uh, soul and spirit, and even combined with heart, overlap in the scriptures, makes me cautious to go with three parts. And I've also heard some really, really scary teaching on what the spirit actually is as the third part. So I just say, be cautious. The safest route to take is believe that we have a material part of our being, which is our body. It's physical. And there's an immaterial part of our being. It's not seen. It's inside. It's given to us by God. And that is the soul slash spirit slash heart, whatever. It's the immaterial part. So I'm a dichotomist. Now, if you're a trichotomist, we can fight after church. Okay? But you'll probably win because I won't fight. But honestly, just to sum this up, it's better to just rejoice in the divine mystery of God's wonderful wisdom in creating us as human beings. And I want you, in closing, to turn to Psalm 139. It's a psalm we usually refer to when we're talking about abortion and the evils of abortion and how precious life is. But in the context of what I've been talking about this morning, please just listen to these words. For you, God, formed my inward parts. You, God, wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your, God, works. And my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you, God, when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, God, have seen my unformed substance. And in your book, God, were all written the days that were ordained for me. When as yet there were none of them, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. And if I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. Just glory in the fact that God created you in his image to worship him, to reflect him to others, and then ask him to help you to do a better job at that. All of us could do better. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truths of your word. We know they run completely contrary to just contemporary thought and our culture where it's at. And Lord, even though it's completely contrary, it is exactly what the culture needs to hear. It's exactly what our friends that are truly suffering in quiet and sometimes not so quiet desperation need to hear. Lord, help us to be courageous and bold and to stand on the word of God, the truth that it promotes, and help us to speak it out to others around us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.